Welcome to the E6 Podcast from Colonial Church, a place for candid conversations about what our church community is learning, what's going on in the world, and how it all applies to our lives as followers of Jesus. My name is Brooke. This is episode 69. What's up, Lauren? What's up, Brooke? Good morning. How's it going? Well, it's a Monday. You it know? is a Monday. These podcast episodes go out on Monday afternoons. We sit down together on Monday morning. I'm not sure still if it's the best time of the week for you and me to try to use our brains. <laughs> early morning is never. <laughs> early morning is never. We've been talking for almost an hour before starting recording this morning, just putting some thoughts together, and we're struggling. So um, I wonder how everybody else's Monday mornings typically go. Yeah. I think my brain's just fried right now. <laughs> Speaking of fried brains, have you... Um, have you been watching the NBA Finals? Yes. The, the playoffs, I guess, you know, in general? I am not an NBA basketball fan okay. in general. Uh, I love college basketball. Love, love, right. love March Madness and all things college basketball. Second Bears, national champions, <laughs> year and a half ago, right? <laughs> Still living in the past. Um, but uh, I, the NBA, you know, they take five steps and they don't call traveling and everybody complains step, about every call. The Euro step. <laughs> But you know what? I say that every year that I don't care and I'm not going to watch. And my favorite team, the Rockets, is terrible again this year. And yet, I think the deeper they go in the playoffs, I get sucked in. Yeah. I, the Celtics-Warriors series, like every other Celtics series so far in the playoffs, has been incredible. I am glued to it. So, yes, game five tonight. Um, I have no dog in the fight. I'm a big Steph Curry fan, but I'm rooting for the Celtics. I love that team. I love their moxie. Um, I love their young guys that that score um, at will. Uh, Horford, I've become a huge Al Horford fan. He's I was a, really disappointed when Oklahoma City didn't get him. He's an old dude. He's several for years, the NBA. He's several old. years he's, ago. Is he thirty six, thirty seven? I don't know. For the NBA, that's old. That's pretty old. And he's he had he had the record for the most games without being in the most playoff games. I think as a player without ever making the finals until this year yeah so he's like he's just easy to root for yeah he's a, he's a solid christian guy by the way on really? a side note um it's pretty cool to read about his faith and his dad's always in the crowd just rooting for him his dad's like makes sense seven feet tall um yeah that's me that's me just throwing up about nba finals have you been watching i know you're a big thunder fan i'm a big thunder fan and they've been terrible yes um and they get like uh they got a really good um they didn't get the first pick in the draft, but I think they got the second one, and they have they have several in the first round, like three, oh. I think. Um, so they're going to get that huge kid out of uh, Gonzaga, or the they've got or options. the superstar from is it Auburn? Is that the other guy? I'm not sure. Okay, honestly, I have not watched a single bit of it. You haven't watched any of the NBA Finals? None. I'm a little surprised. None of it. I've been watching the uh, the college softball World Series. Well, that's because you're an OU fan. That's understandable. Still OU dominated they were so stinking good everybody everybody man they were so good yeah and all the way through they only lost three games all All season long like 60 and three or something 58 and three yeah something like that it was like 52 and two going into the into the 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 championship turn into the tournament at the end and um but yeah i i have i was just curious if you if you watched in the nba because i haven't watched a single bit of it yeah, it's been fun. I get notifications on my phone, and I'm like, wait, that's not about softball that I'm watching right now. Well, I and Which I have is funny because it's that's weird for me. I don't know. I I will confess this too. I think I've talked about the NFL like this before. I know Paul. I know I've got friends. I've got family members that don't watch the NFL, or they. Let me back up. They say they don't watch the NFL. 
They certainly say they don't watch the NBA because all the politics the last few years. Okay. And you know what? I, I grew up playing football and basketball. I'm just I just enjoy the sports of it. Mm-hmm. I don't have to agree with any personal players, you know, sure. worldview or off the court behavior to enjoy, you know, some great passing to enjoy just some great defense, uh, amazing threes and dunks. And I just, I love it. And I, I've kind of decided I'm not going to overthink this, um, this politics aspect of it. I know that's probably not, um, exactly where some of our listeners are, but, um, I'm, I've really enjoyed, I'm a little surprised, but you know what? Less time watching the TV and more time with, Kids and wife—that's not a bad thing. No, right? that's true. Not a bad thing. No, we've we've spent some time in the pool, and I will tell yeah. you, my DVR has done <laughs> wonders for me the last however long those things have existed—ten or fifteen years—because I don't watch anything live. Right. I watch everything when my kids are finally down or my wife is otherwise engaged. Which, um, as your friend, I have to admit, is the worst. Because when I watch the when I watch anything live, oh, I know. Then you're texting me. I'm trying to text you to have a conversation about what's going on. Stop! I haven't even watched that yet. Dude, are you watching this? And then and so now I have. But usually I just ignore you. I have to like try to count. Like I have to try to like. Okay, how can I say this in the most benign, like gray? Nothing is happening, but I'm curious if the game is on at your house. <laughs> I can't tell you how many. Where in the game are you? I can't tell you how many texts <laughs> I have gotten over the last dozen years. Are you watching the Cowboys game live? That's right. <laughs> That's the question. <laughs> I'm telling you. Those are my good friends. Any of my good friends know. I, I don't want to spoil this for Lauren. Are you live? I just want to like <laughs> be a commentator through text message with yeah, you. Well, and you don't let me. Speaking of things we love, um, movies are things that we love. Yes, At the Movies and is coming up. At the Movies. Cannot wait. Is um, what? Four weeks? We kick it off three weeks from this coming Sunday. So we'll kick it off on uh, July 10th. Yeah. Uh, Our build effort for a lot of our folks behind the scenes Mm -hmm. is going to start just in a couple weeks. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, Mm -hmm. I am Mm -hmm. so excited. So, um, okay, Let's, let's pretend that somebody out there is listening to this podcast. Yes. And they are like, hey, okay, so you keep playing this this promo video at church and I've seen it, you know, depending on how many times they've been there. We've played it several weeks in a row. Uh, you've talked about being excited about it at the movies. Maybe we listen to the podcast and you guys have mentioned this a couple of times over the last couple of months. Um, you're talking about work that goes in and all this kind of stuff. What in the world is at the movies and what, like, what does that mean to someone who does not know? That's a great question. What the heck we're talking about. We had about. that exact moment in our small group uh, a couple Sunday nights ago when, yeah. uh, one of the ladies that really just started coming to colonial in the last 18 months, maybe less. We were, we were the rest of the room. It's like a private joke. The rest of the room was laughing and talking and, um, even nostalgic about past at the movies experiences. And she finally spoke up and said, what is at the movies? I'm sorry, what? <laughs> and it was humbling. I was like, ah. Uh, okay, been... so let's pretend that yes. the podcast yes. is not the rest of the room. Yes. And you're not on part of the inside I'm going to give joke. you, a, I hope, a fairly short answer. And okay. then I, I want you to give me um, your fairly short answer. You could, you could say it well, and you might say it differently. To me, mm-hmm. we always value good teaching. Um in any local church, that's part of why you come together is to study the scripture, to uh, to reframe things 
with a biblical lens, so to speak, to learn truth together. Um, we ripped this idea off, I believe, from Life Church, mm-hmm. big church in Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if anybody, if they ripped that off from somebody else, who knows. But regardless, it is an attempt on our part over the course of four or five weekends. This this uh, this year we're doing five different back-to-back-to-back Sundays um, where we, instead of spend our hour, hour 15 together doing various things we normally do here at Colonial, we are going to watch, I would say roughly uh, 40 minutes, give or take, of a particular movie. So we don't watch a whole movie, okay. but we don't watch a clip. We don't watch a two and a half minute clip. That lot, A lot of times we do this in church, we'll show a one or two minute video clip or right. a four or five minute video clip. This is 40 plus minutes of footage that's been edited together um, from a movie to tell most of the story. And then we break it up with some also, it's also pre-recorded. We break it up with some teachings. What is, what is this story? This, whether it's a fictional story or it's a story based on real life or whatever it is, whether it's a cartoon, whether it's action adventure, we, we inner, inner, uh, what am I trying to say? We, we, uh, splice in some teaching moments, mm-hmm. uh, quoting scripture, uh, making some observations based on what we understand from the Bible, uh, hopefully even with some action steps at the end. But partly it's just fun. It's We're a church that is a family, and so we want to come together and be family. Part of what you do as a family is you have fun together. So At the Movies provides a midsummer different experience. Mm-hmm. Part of it is, is just trying to teach effectively in a different way. And so... Um, if you're a visual learner, if you love stories coming to life on the big screen, uh, and you love Jesus, At The Movies is really cool. If you don't know Jesus, if you're not a Christian, then At The Movies, to me, provides um, an opportunity, maybe with a little less barrier. You know, you're not going to come yeah. in and do some weird religious stuff. You're <laughs> going to come in and watch part of a movie that maybe you've already seen. And, oh, they're they're reframing it a little bit in in Christian terms, that's fascinating. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. There's some cool stories of people that have certainly come to colonial initially because of at the movies. And there's even stories of people that have come to Jesus initially because of at the movies. So, um, that's my take on it. How would you describe it? Basically, how would you, what would you add to that or say differently? Um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. Um, I agree. I think that uh, you know, when you when you read through the Gospels and the story of Jesus, um, Jesus related his teaching to people through stories, right? So, and 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 of course, when we read through it, we're like, "There's a lady trying to find a lost coin." What? I don't I don't understand. I don't pick up a penny when I walk by it because then I have to figure out what to do with it. You know, oh, there's a sheep. Well, I, I don't know anything about sheeps and goats and shepherds and all this stuff. But for their stories, they were very relevant to the people that are there. And so for us, at the movies is is a way to teach the teach the scriptures through 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 stories that are that are relevant to 
uh, our lives. That's well said. In in <laughs> at least in some ways. At least I, in some ways. I'm not my sure. life is not very relevant to Jurassic Park. Um, <laughs> But it's a story that I understand and, you know, and, and all those kinds of things. It's a story that we get into. Um, you know, you were talking about, did you, did, you guys, did you guys go see Top Gun? Yes, we saw Top Gun Maverick. Uh, actually, I've seen it twice now in nice. the theater. Yes. I still haven't seen it. Okay. I took, I took uh, Carrie the first time with some friends, and then I took a couple of my daughters just yeah. this past weekend. And I, th- I loved it the second time ever, but as much as the first time. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, it's still on my list, right? We're still going. But we've been talking about going to see the, the new Jurassic Park. You know, because yes. it's like it's it, this is it's it's entertainment, it's fun, it's whatever. And so then to take at the movies um, as a as a as a church thing, as a teaching time, and say, okay, here's a story that you know, but this is what we should, you know, right. this is this is truth from the Bible that relates. Right. Um, this is what the story is actually illustrating in another way. If you think about it, in the you know from the, through the lens of right. of the gospel. Um, you know, so those kinds of things, and and you're right. I think there's there's a lot of um, of barriers of what church may or may not normally be like, or or what it's expected when you can come and you watch. I mean, forty minutes of a movie is a lot. And of course, if you love the movie, you're probably upset because I had to cut out your favorite part. Or yeah, that is part. <laughs> that is it. part of the difficulty of at the movies. I've I've heard my kids express that. Oh, don't no is, no no don't stop wait, there. Wait wait wait. Why ah. why is somebody teaching now put it back on the movie Dad, you know? why are you on screen go yeah. away um, but but yeah so th- that's that's a big part of it the other thing is like when uh when life church um created this it was a fun different thing and they did it in the summer because it just helped people stay connected yeah and and so yeah it's it serves the same way but but i'm, I'm also with you where it's like we we do very similar things. Whether we change up the flow of Sunday or we you know we're playing different songs, you're talking about something different than what was the week before or whatever. The flow tends to be relatively the same, right? And so and so this is just one of those ways that we kind of basically just break out of the 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 mold or the rut, if you will, sometimes where it's like, okay, this is something different. It feels different. It just comes across differently, and and it's um it's more blatantly fun than um than what we normally do. Right. You know. Right. And so then we we have you know historically taken it over the top in in some ways and said you know let's build a um let's build uh you know those of us that have been here a long time we talk about the pirate ship because the pirate ship was huge and and uh, epic that we we basically built the front half of a pirate ship in our in the cafe and we've done the ninja turtles in the sewer and we had uh you know the avengers station uh like like i don't i don't even know i made it up what is it uh, shield headquarters <laughs> yeah shield headquarters there you go that's <laughs> right um that was one of those i went on vacation and said well we're gonna do this instead uh, that was you know, really fun. It was fun, but we've done Jurassic Park, and we've done you know different things where in the in the kids do it, you know, and, they, and they have they have uh, movies for the kids as well, and it's just a fun it's a fun time, and so um, I I love those aspects of it, and just like you said, it's a it's a great time to invite somebody because the the the, the barriers that that may already be there um, are significantly less. We're gonna have popcorn and concessions available and it's gonna look different when you walk in and hopefully be fun. And right. we're gonna mess with the flow a little bit and do some stuff that's a little bit different. And yep. then and our, our movies are um 
our movies are very relevant to right now, not necessarily in their topics or whatever, but they're pretty recent movies. And, you know, we didn't go and yeah, most of them are, yeah. Uh, we didn't go dig up, uh, you know, movies that we'd done in the past a whole lot or, um, or, or, you know, really old movies for anything. Like a lot of them are very, very recent movies. And I think it'll be fun. I'm excited. I do too. I do too. The only detractors I've come across are, are either, um, people who just don't enjoy movies that much, sure. which, which there are, you know, a decent number of folks out there that just don't go to the movies, don't like the experience as much as others. Right. Um, uh, and then there's also some detractors who, who just frankly don't see church the same way, just have, have in their mind what you should and shouldn't do okay. <laughs> on a Sunday morning. Yeah. Um, and think that, you know, we're everything from, trying to be cool or watering down the gospel or right. th- there's some of that, those detractors, but, uh, for our culture, both, uh, in our community at large and for our culture here at colonial, I just want to say it is a really fun and effective tool that we love. We yeah. love, and I'm, I am excited about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's always fun to hear the stories of, uh, you know, somebody down the road, you know, yes. a year later or, yes. you know, several years later and they're like, yeah, you know, I started coming to Colonial I've heard during, a bunch of those stories. during at the movies, yes. you know, and it was like, oh, this is different. I wanna, yes. I'm going to try this out again. You know what I'm curious about, Brooke, is, you know, there's a, a huge percentage of our population nationwide and here in Wichita Falls that have not gone back to church, so to speak. Yeah. Um, for whatever reasons. And that's, that's one of the million dollar questions, you know, is why, why is that? Why are, why are attendance numbers in the church across the nation down so much? Mm. And there's some, I think, deeper philosophical reasons for some people than others. Some of it's just lost habits from the pandemic. And, um, but I'm very curious if at the movies is the kind of attraction that I use that word on purpose attraction, um, that some of those folks go, you know what? We haven't been to church in a while. We used to go a lot. Oh, they're doing that. I want to go. Hmm. And I wonder if that's enough. If you go to two or three of those weekends that you're like, I miss being here. Yeah. I miss, I need this. Or I, I mean, we may be thinking too much <laughs> of it or of ourselves that it, no, it's not attractive enough to do that. Or they might come the whole at the movie series and then go, that was cool. I'm back to my couch. You know, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know, but I'm curious. I, I don't think that's strategically necessarily why we're doing it, but I am curious what the, what byproducts come from, mm-hmm. from us trying to do this. Well, and, and just to take advantage of the situation as we talk about it, just to get it out there as we will continue to from the stage over the next several weeks. But, um, due to copyright stuff, we cannot show these, we can't stream these in the same way. So you'll be able to watch it live on our website and we'll do some replays. Um, but they won't be live on Facebook and they won't be live on YouTube, um, because their algorithms just don't, don't work in that way and they will kick us off. So, uh, so you can go to colonialchurch.com slash live at the time. And again, like I said, we'll talk about this more, but, uh, but yeah, they won't be available. So anyway, so at the movies is coming, we're only a few weeks away and, and, uh, that's exciting and, um, movies are fun. So can't wait. Um, okay. Let's, uh, let's dive in here because we have, um, some, we have some questions out of, uh, following Sunday. Okay. Got a couple um, questions that have been submitted. Right. And yeah. so, and, and, and the, the topics, um, 
it's it's deep in a lot of Jewish stuff that we don't normally spend much time in. So um, it, I think it's good to ask some questions and, and kind of pause and think through some of this stuff. Uh, and then and then also we have uh, Winsome Conviction, the book that we've been talking about, um, I guess, started last week. And uh, um, we'll probably try to get through some of that and some thoughts here and uh, how that relates to what we've been talking about on Sundays as well. But so, so our origin story, the series that we're in, um, as we've continued, basically, we'll go, let's go back to last week. So last week was the, uh, the beginning of the story in Acts 15 of, um, of, of, the, uh, of, of, of Paul and Barnabas. Of the controversy. Yes. Yes. Uh, hearing about, on their, on their mission trip, uh, going to visit all these, these different churches, hearing about a place where they were... Um, upset because there were people that were preaching that they had that anybody that was converting to Christianity um, and was not a Jew had to conform to Jewish customs, specifically about circumcision in this in this case. And then ultimately, them saying, "Okay, hang on, we need to we need to figure this out. So let's call all of the all the big dudes, get them in a room." And hash this out so that we can so that we can nail it down. And so this week, then to continue with the conversation of what does that actually look like, and their their ultimate decision um, with James leading the way, saying, "Okay, well, you don't have to be ethnically Jewish in order to be uh, a follower of Jesus, right? And um, and accepted um, by God, right? So." Um, <laughs> it's a, that's a good recap, right? It's, it's okay? a lot to take in, right. but that's a good recap. It is a, it's a lot, and then but then it gets into okay. So basically, being ethnically Jewish ha, to to be accepted um, into the family of of the followers of Jesus uh, to do they have to follow the law of of Moses, which is we uh, if you've studied any of that is very very thick um, with the way that they had interpreted it in a lot of ways uh, to get circumcised, which <laughs> as an adult I, nobody wants to do. Um, so I think that's a, I think that's a, a fair statement. Is that a fair statement? <laughs> <laughs> we, we can we can agree on this. Yes, right. it's let's just call that a commitment. That's <laughs> it. It is a there's no going back. Um, Why are we all moving around in our chairs? I know. It's, I'm right I'm now. uncomfortable. All now. two of us. Um, yes. Understanding the Jewish law. So you talked about the different types of Jewish law: the liturgical law, which is guidelines for the temple and the tabernacle. So. It's all about worship. Um, cool. That's how Anything we're going to do stuff. The priests, the worship. Yes. Yes. Okay. And, and there's then, a lot of that. There's a lot of that. Yes. Yes. Right. Uh, then there's the ethical law. Mm-hmm. You said that was uh, universally true for everybody. Basically, yes. like your example was the Ten Commandments. Yes. Right. Um, so this is this applies to you whether or not you it has are. Has nothing to do with being Jewish. It right. has everything to do with being human. Okay. And then there was the works of the law, the rules that make you Jewish. Yes. So like being circumcised, eating yes. kosher. Um, wearing tassels. Yes, uh, which, and that is a long list of things as well. Right, and that's more of what I was getting at when, when I'm talking about just being a really thick. Yes. Um, so maybe maybe saying the, the law of Moses is probably not the right way to say it, but uh, the, the works of the law. Yes. I, I, so just a, a quick example of how this is still very, very um, uh, relevant or, or, or followed. Um, I... My wife and I had the the opportunity to travel to Israel, um, probably th- I don't know, fifteen years ago. Okay, 
And uh, and so we, we got to go. And my mom led the trip, and my mom is very go-go-go. Oh, so we so saw cool. a ton of things, and it was great. Um, but one of the days, we were in Jerusalem, and and being in Jerusalem is, is crazy because of just the way that that city is forced together is just nuts. Um, and so you're, we were in the Jewish quarter, I think. Um, I, th- I think it's split into into quarters of like there's the Christian side and the that Jewish side. Bell. And the I haven't been there Islamic since I was side 14 and, myself. So. Um, but anyway, so we're in, we're in a spot where these laws are followed. Okay. Um, I'm a dumb American that does not know any better. Um, I have general ideas, but I don't know. And more more specifically, you're from Oklahoma. And I'm from Oklahoma, right? So, <laughs> and and I'm also eating Mediterranean food all week long, like the like the whole time we're there. Everything's and pickled. It's oh my gosh, there were olives <laughs> and so much bread and all these things that I'm like, I am so hungry because I want meat and cheese. <laughs> Those two things, speaking of being kosher, are not kosher when they're together. Mm. And so, I don't know this. I'm not paying attention to anything. I remember going and I went like we had several people eating at one restaurant and literally across the alleyway is another restaurant. And I went over to one restaurant and I got this like, you know, meat sandwich or whatever. And I'm like, oh, cool. This is what I wanted. I needed some meat. And then I'm just walking back across the alleyway to this other restaurant where I had, you know, all of our, our, our group is. And the entire, like, I just, like, step in the door, and the entire place is like, whoa, 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 like, freaking out. Wow. Because I had a sandwich in a bag that was from this restaurant across the street. And you had brought it in. And I had brought it into it, which was not kosher, and it was not okay. Wow. And so, even now... Even these these are are still... Like, that's how important these things are, is that these have been passed on for, you know, centuries. Yes. Um, and it's still a big deal that I had a meat sandwich and I took it into a place where it wasn't supposed to be, mm. even though they were directly across the street from each other. And, mm. and it was I mean, and, and the street. I mean, like the street is like, we're talking like 10 feet, right? Like <laughs> this was not like a, like a massive, like I went to McDonald's and took it across the street to someplace else. But right. Right. So these are the laws. And so now we're talking about, um, the Gentiles, who were the outsiders, the non-Jews, basically everybody yep. else. Yep. So if you're not a Jew, you're not following all these things. You're not ethnically Jewish. You're not a part of the family of Abraham. Um, you are, you're a Gentile. Mm-hmm. You're a, you're an outsider. Mm-hmm. Um, the Samaritans, the people that they hated, anybody else that was their enemies, everybody is a Gentile. And, uh, and so now the controversy comes up of, Hey, you want to follow Jesus like us. Shouldn't you have to do all the things that we're talking about and not eat meat in the same way and get circumcised and right? Um, what you said wear tassels and you're talking about the uh, like the like the prayer shawl is that what you're going for yeah, there with right, your tassels right? Okay, I was just curious. And, um, so <laughs> where where do we take this now with um, all of this history and everything? Before we get to some of our questions. Um, and and it's just so thick to, I think I think the thing that sticks out of me out to me um, with with all of this is the is the watching the church go through this the early Christian church go through this and come to a place where their understanding is basically that Gentiles are not you know these outsiders that are not Jewish are not supposed to be thought of as impure or less than anymore. I think mm-hmm. that's the thing that really sticks out to me. Mm. Um, What's this? Um, 
my, uh, he said, Acts fifteen nineteen. he says, uh, my judgment is that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles that are turning to God, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So therefore, I'm accepting you as a person and who you are and, and, and being related to God without having to pile on all these extra rules. Mm-hmm. Am I understanding this? But that's, I think that's, what, that's what stood out to me. What, is, there, is there anything that really stands out to you outside of, obviously, what we talked about? But. No, I mean, I think, I think we're obviously going to get into digging a little deeper, especially with these questions, mm-hmm. um, about what certain things mean in this passage. But I think, I think you're hitting on the head. The heart of it is what is essential to understanding the gospel. Yeah. And I think when cultures collide... Mm-hmm. It it not only causes problems <laughs> right. in understanding, but ultimately, best case scenario, it clarifies what's essential. I think back to my own experience of moving to Europe, um, Western Europe. This is before the wall came down in in, in eighty nine. We lived over there almost the entire. I lived over there almost the entire decade of the eighties in Germany, and to to meet Christians, American Christians who weren't all from Texas like I was from all over the country mm-hmm. to meet American Christians who were from different denominations. I grew up Baptist and they were from all different denominations. We even had Catholics as a part of our, our Protestant church. And then to meet Europeans that had their own cultural context, German Baptists and, and other international people. And it really forced you to go, okay, what's, what what hills are we going to die on here? Yeah, and and how do we seek to understand where everybody's coming from to figure out what's what's important and what's not important? What does the scripture say? It brings to mind a totally different season of life when I stepped into the United Methodist Church for four years to serve as a youth pastor with my Baptist upbringing, and and then to wrestle with okay, so the pastor here has a robe on and. Oh, there's a female pastor here, and oh, we're reciting these creeds, and oh, we're we're going to the front and kneeling when we are served communion, yeah. and it just none of that's problematic if you have the posture of okay, Lord, what does the Scripture say? Um, and what is just a different way to express faith versus what is foundational and in some some area or areas that we're not going to compromise on? Yeah. That's what all this brings to me. And so what I see happen here in, in history that's recorded in Acts 15 is that these leaders of the, the new, new Christian church got together and said the same things. Lord, what are you saying? What do we need to, what do we need to unite around as essential? And, and beyond that, if it's not essential, then how do we fight, for, how do we fight to love each other really yeah. well? And so we're going to we're going to not bend or break when it comes to the grace of God. That's how we are going to recognize that he saves everybody. It's the grace of God, the unmerited gift from God through the work of Jesus, his sacrificial death on the cross to take on all of our sin, all of our rebellion, to make us clean in his eyes, to make us holy in his eyes, to give us then the Holy Spirit, all of us, not just the Jews, not just this people, that people that we're not we're not compromising on that we're all agreeing on that okay should we dress like this should we eat those foods should we express ourselves in worship like this that or the other we're going to give ourselves a lot of room for grace there and we're not going to fight over those things and um and we're going to try to be 
what I see coming off the page here is we're going to try to be really sensitive to other people. Um, not mad that they don't get it, not mad that they're doing it differently. Um, but we're going to do life together and, and even coming from very different backgrounds. I think I, I'm trying to picture a Christian in that first century who grew up Jewish from birth, mm-hmm. learned the, the Torah, went to synagogue, dressed certain ways, ate, ate certain foods, didn't eat certain foods. And the, the person from Syria who didn't know a dadgum thing about Judaism, but heard the gospel, met Christians, came to know Jesus, entered into community with them, was baptized, and had a very different upbringing, very different worldview. How did they do life together? Mm-hmm. How did they um, become friends and, and not judge each other for looking and acting so differently but still being saved by Jesus. And so that's the heart to me of what we're reading about in Acts, especially here in Acts 15. Yeah, and and some of that lends towards some of the questions that we've got here. Um, And I I think part of it's even, you know, some of the the things that we will talk about next week with, uh, you know, with Winsome Conviction and some of the um, kind of the process or the step-by-step kind of ideas that they give at the end. Yeah. um, We can talk about next week. But okay, so let's, let's go into... Um, let's dive into one of these questions, okay? So this is uh, this is a question that we had um, that was that was sent in, and it's uh, it's long. Um, so bear with me. I have a little text on my on my screen here. So um, I'm gonna try to not totally. It's 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 totally good questions, this, but good yeah. questions, plural. And I think it serves as a good conversation starter for us to clarify a few things from the teaching yesterday, from the passage. Um, and by the way, I exchanged texts with Abby O'Reilly. Um, she's she's um, given us questions before, and she said, by the way, I didn't check the anonymous or not anonymous box. She's like, I don't care. People know it's me. So um, this is this these questions initially we're going to talk about are from our good friend, Abby O'Reilly. She's on her worship team. She's fairly new to the church this past year, moved from out of state with her husband, John. She's awesome. So go for it, Brooke. All right. So... The assertion that is uh, that this so-named Noahic covenant, which is one of the things that you talked about, um, uh, James talking about with with his people yes. in, with the people in the room, right? Yes, uh, that it can be found in Genesis nine. I found no such list. There is a quote covenant in Genesis nine. Right. I researched this uh, this Mishnah that's mentioned. Um, what I found indicated that the Mishnah is part is the main part of a greater text known as the Talmud. In the Talmud, there are seven named parts attributed uh, attributed to a named Noah Noahide covenant, not just three. That's what you talked about on on right. Sunday. Right. The greater question here. Uh, for me here is that we're saying that this is part of the old covenant God made with Noah, and then it precedes the Jews. Then why are we just relying on the Jewish text to tell us that? Shouldn't there be another text that confirms such uh, purported details of the covenant between God and Noah? Yes, that's a mouthful. I've read it, Abby. You're, you're. Uh, I think I understand you, and I've read it a few times. Brooke and I've talked about it. Um, Couple thoughts here. First of all, for context for people, we're talking about Acts 15, uh, ni- verse 19 and following, where he says, hey, let's not make it hard for the Gentiles. But then verse 20, he says, instead, we should write and tell them to do three things. Abstain from eating food offered to idols, from sexual immorality, 
and from eating the meat of strangled animals consuming blood. So these three things. And I referred yesterday to the Noahic covenant where these three rules come from. I referred to the Mishnah, which is where we get this Noahic covenant understanding of it. Um, yes, first of all, you, you, um, in the research that you've done, Abby, you see the word Noahide, Noahide covenant. That's the same thing. I don't know why I see Noahic sometimes and Noahide covenant this other times. But we're talking about the covenant God made with Noah after the big flood. Yes, you can read about part of that covenant in Genesis 9. Um, so if you guys want to go there, listeners, to Genesis 9, it's where he says, I'm never going to do this again. I make a covenant with you. Here's the rainbow that you can remember my covenant agreement with you. Talks a little bit about what we're talking about here in the covenant. But you are right on um, the three aspects, the three rules that James throws at these people in Acts 15 from the Noahic covenant. That's not all in Genesis 9. And I forgive me if I wasn't clear about that yesterday. What, what James knows, I want to remind our listeners or people that we're trying to track yesterday or reading Acts 15, James is a Jewish Christian. James is in Jerusalem. James is the leader of the church that is predominantly Jewish believers, Jewish Christians. And he's talking to folks Jew, who are Jewish Christians who are bringing this concern. I think, I think they should have to obey the, the law of Moses. I think they should have to be really good Jews if they're going to be Christians. So James is speaking their language. James knows what they know. And here's, here's some clarifying things for you, Abby, and your question and for other people. Um, he knows that the oral tradition at this point, which is the Mishnah, is known by everybody he's talking to. Uh, the Mishnah would end up being written down. I've learned, I've learned a few things recently. The Mishnah would be written down of this oral tradition, um, middle of the second century at the earliest. So we're talking way after the book of Acts. This hadn't even been written down yet. Um, but he knows that they're familiar with it because they're all good Jews. They've learned the Mishnah. They've learned the oral tradition. Um, and so what, what the Mishnah did, this oral tradition, is it identified three, not seven, three primary parts of the Noahic covenant. It sums it up. Sums it up. First of all, it's about idolatry. Um, if you, if you read, uh, what's been written down since then with the Mishnah, it's a whole lot of talk about me and you a whole lot of talk about no other gods, no other gods. No, this is about you and me. This is about us. There's no other gods, which if you think about this is, this is in the context first century, as James is sharing this in Roman culture where there's just fake gods everywhere, super relevant. Okay. So the first one's about idolatry. The second one rule from the Noahic covenant is about sexual immorality. And if you read the covenant, there's a whole lot about be fruitful, multiply. Um, what is the best way, the, the most appropriate way to be fruitful and multiply? This is all about sexual immorality. And then the third aspect of the Noahic covenant from the Mishnah is all about the whole earth, the whole earth, the whole earth, um, the earth, the earth, the earth. It's all about sanctity of life, the whole realm of animals, of humanity. And so that's where James is coming from. He knows these people know the Mishnah. Um, this is w the way the Jews already thought that he's talking. They're all nodding their heads when he's saying these things. We, we read these three going, why those three? Why those three rules that he just throw at these people? Well, it's back to what you referred to. Brooke as the ethical law. You could argue that he's saying this is way before there were Jews or non-Jews. This is this is back to when God made a covenant with Noah. 
Um, this is for, for the whole earth. He made a covenant with everybody. I will never do this to the whole earth. I, this is all about sanctity of life for the whole earth. It's everybody. Therefore, James rationalized. You could argue James rationalized in that moment. Well, let's hold them to these, these rules. We're not going to hold them to wearing tassels. We're not going to hold them to eating kosher because that's, that's unique to Judaism. We are going to hold them to just be fit, not to, not to find salvation, but to be a part of our community. We're going to ask them, frankly, to be sensitive to these particular rules because they do apply to everybody. Um, one other clarification, because I, I, I was confused too. If you read the Talmud, it's got seven parts to the Noahic covenant. Um, but the, the real simple ex- explanation of that is the Talmud wasn't even written till even later. It was written uh, at least one, maybe two centuries after the Mishnah was written. So third or fourth centuries when the Talmud was written. So that, that's totally irrelevant to the moment that James is talking to these people. He understands from the oral tradition, from the Mishnah, that there are three main parts that sum up the Noahic Covenant, and he pulls those out to use that. Um, so the real question is why is James saying this? Why is he wanting to hold these non-Jewish, these Gentile Christians to the Noahic covenant? Is because this is the covenant that they believe God made with everybody, not just Jews, with everybody. Um, there's there's some speculation. You know, did James really have to do that? Is he is he kind of revealing? that he's a little more legalistic <laughs> than he should be, that even this grace, 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 grace alone is, is even hard for him? That, that's an interesting question. Um, but he certainly separates this from salvation. He says, salvation, let's not make this hard for them. It is by grace alone. It is by grace alone. This is the way we've all been saved. I agree with Peter. Peter just said that. I agree with Peter. So I hope that's helpful uh, to, to Abby, to your question, um, it's, it's to us, we don't know the Mishnah. We don't know the oral tradition. We don't know what they, we don't think like they think. So we're like, what? These are from left field, idolatry, sexual immorality, sanctity of life. I don't, I don't get that. Or how is don't eat the blood even tied to sanctity of life? Mm. They got it. He's talking to people who knew what he knew. And he pulled that out to say, these are the kind of things, this ethical law, you could argue he could have thrown in the 10 commandments. Hey, let's, let's not hold them to liturgical law. To you got to worship like this. Let's not hold them to the works of the law that you got to be circumcised and you got to, you know, eat kosher food. Um, but you know what? Let's hold them to the ethical law that is for every person. Let's hold them to, hey, guys, let's not lie. Hey, guys, let's not steal. Hey, let's, let's honor our parents. Let's practice sexual morality. Um, let's not have any idols before God. Let's not kill. Um, he, in a sense, did the same thing by pulling out the Noahic covenant. Does that make sense to you, Brooke? Yeah, I think so. Um, I, you know, we've we've talked about filling in the blanks. Um, you know, and how we fill in the blanks is is difficult when we're reading something that's thousands of years old. Yes, yes. Because they fill in the blanks differently, and so right. it's it sounds like to me that this is an opportunity for James to not have to spell it all out because they already knew that. Right. And that we don't have all of that or we don't have that same history. And so for us, we have to dig deeper to try to find some of that. So 
Um, okay, well, let, let me let me continue here. Um, so we've got a couple more aspects of this, right? Um, so we're, we're asserting quite heavily, this is back to her question, we're asserting quite heavily that we're not holding Gentiles uh, or non-Jews to the standards of the Jewish law, or uh, or at least the early church didn't. However, what does that mean for non uh, or for Jewish born Christians? Are we holding them to the sa- to those particular standards, or does the works of Jesus and the sacrifice He made and the grace it provide negate the Jewish law of old? If Jesus came to fulfill the law and become the last sacrifice that would ever be required to pay for the sins of humanity, then what place does the Jewish law hold? If I understand those questions correctly. Um, and Abby, thanks again for taking the time to, to voice this. I think, I think this may be the easiest thing to answer, which is, um, the only things that, that I think we're, uh, we're saying as Christians are the only things James as a leader early in the first century or others over the last couple uh, millennia are saying that we should hold people to, first of all, how do you, how are you saved? You're saved by faith alone, through grace alone. It's, it's not work we've done, it's work God has done, we receive it. Um, but then when it comes to obedience, are we holding people to the law of Moses? Are we holding people to the Jewish law? And the short answer is no. Now the more complicated answer is, well, what, what aspects of the Jewish law are we talking about? Because if we're talking about uh, what we're calling here the works of the law, the Jewish works of the law, which is everything it means to be Jewish, they clarified that for us here in Acts 15. No, we are not holding people to that. Even Jewish-born Christians, we're not holding you to that. Um, we're not holding you to liturgical law, certain ways you have to worship. We are going to hold everybody to ethical law. Um, you could then take it another step. We're going to hold everybody to the teachings of Jesus. Jesus said, I, I have a new covenant with you, a new agreement with you. Um, I think Matthew 5, 6, and 7 should be central to our understanding of what it means to follow Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, I think other aspects of Jesus' teaching. Um, but what are we holding Jewish-born Christians to? I think, I think in the short answer is we're not holding them to the, the, the Old Testament law, the law of Moses. Um, I don't want to miss this, though, because this I think this is central to Acts 15 as well, is we still want to be sensitive to cultural or um, learned expressions of worship, learned express. There's, I, I don't think this is all about. Okay, we're not Jewish anymore. We're throwing a baby out with the bathwater. I think. I think it was a call in Acts 15. Okay, you Jewish Christians, don't don't hold these Gentiles to becoming Jewish. Let hey, freedom in Christ, grace, be sensitive to them, but also hey. Non-Jewish Christians, Gentile Christians, don't frown upon us Jewish Christians for having these practices. Don't frown upon our customs. Don't just walk in with your non-kosher food going, you guys are losers. You know, Be sensitive to what we have just been taught our whole lives and what we, we find tied to our identity and tied to our identity as God's people. And so that's where, to transition maybe, that's where the call to unity, it's grace and unity. I don't think I ever said it quite that specifically yesterday, but the title of my message yesterday purposely was grace and unity, hmm. grace and unity. It's, it's, it's all about God's grace and it, it's worth fighting for unity amongst our differences. Okay. 
um, as we continue through this, uh, another part of this question, if we do say that Jesus fulfilled the law and or that we're not holding space for the Jewish law uh, as Gentiles, then why are we referring to what is essentially a Jewish text filled with Jewish law and tradition to tell us about the details of the covenant between Noah and God when those details aren't included in the Bible? Well, first of all, I think the short answer to that, from my perspective, my opinion, I hope this may not do your question justice, Abby, but um, we are doing no such thing. Uh, Notice that we're not teaching everybody here at Colonial let's obey the Noahic covenant. Um, we're, we're not even going there. Why did James do that is really the question as we read Acts 15. Well, he, back to what we said initially, he knew what they knew. He knew they were very familiar with the oral tradition of the Mishnah, not just what's written down in Genesis 9. They're, they were familiar with the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible mm-hmm. in our book, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So they were familiar with Genesis 9, but they were also familiar with the oral tradition, what would be called the Mishnah. And so that's what he spoke from to say, hey, let's hold these people to this. So we're talking about two different things. What do we hold people to? We don't, we don't hold them to that. Um, Jesus has revealed a whole new covenant. But I think, maybe I'll land here, it just speaks to the lifelong calling, I would argue, on you, Brooke, on me, on Abby, on everybody else as Christians to just seek to understand a lot of things, including cultural history of the first century. What, what did, why, why, did, why did they use this language? What did they already know? Um, how can I put myself in their shoes? It helps us. But also to, to James and Peter's point here in Acts 15, I think it's why we need to understand some decent level of, of Judaism mm. because our Faith is grounded in Jewish roots. Jesus was a Jew. God's chosen people way before Jesus' time were Jewish. And so for us to fully understand not just Jesus, or, or as one of my friends recently said, I think a lot of us Christians think, think that Christianity started with Martin Luther and the Reformation, you know? No, that's a valuable part of our history, but it goes farther back than that. It goes farther back than the first church 2,000 years ago. It goes farther back than the first Easter 2,000 years ago. It goes not just all the way to creation. We don't just, just fast forward all the way back to Genesis 1, but there's so much history of God's interaction that we have recorded in Scripture. We are tied to Jewish history. We are tied to Jewish literature, Jewish texts, um, even if that feels and and really in reality is very foreign to me or to you um now why do we not have some other texts we lean into i'm gonna stop and say i don't know (laughs) i don't know this is this is god's plan as far as i can see um yeah that's that's a lot for one question asker and yet i love how she finishes yeah i was was gonna say i want to i want to leave this in there um, that she, she, she added it, uh, as a final note, I want to include that I realize this whole thing is about disagreeing well and remain and still remaining unified. And that's not lost on me. And I'm trying not to be argumentative about it. I just am, however, asking the questions to cl- for clear, uh, for clarity and understanding. And in some ways to say that I do in fact disagree. And I hope there's room for that. I love that. Yeah. I already know Abby well enough to know that's her heart, but I love that you closed with that. Hey, I'm not trying to be a punk. <laughs> um, and yet I love that I can see your face, Abby, when you ask this question, you're, 
um, there's a little contrarian in you in a, and I would just affirm that's a good thing. You're a learner. Uh, you're, you're going to push back cause you, you want to grow and let's all do that and let's disagree. Well, great transition into fighting for unity. How do we disagree without being divisive? How do we disagree without dividing the church? Mm-hmm. Um, can we transition there, Brooke? We can, yeah. Um, so we talked about Winsome Conviction, um, this book about, um, what's the subtitle? Uh, disagreeing Without Dividing the Church, right? Yeah. Correct. Um, sorry, I don't have it in front of me. Um, so let's kind of let's let's dive into this a little bit. We talked about it last week. If you if this is the first time you've heard about it, this is a great book. Um, we'll keep it in the show notes again this week, just in case. Um, get this book. It's it's not an overly expensive book, but it's really relevant to what we're dealing with in our world right now. Um, so let's kind of break this in half, and we can continue this conversation again next week. But um, this first half basically kind of like uh, what's the issue, right? Yeah, I th- I think. Um we're both looking at kind of some of the notes we've taken as we've read the book. I love one of the statements they make, these authors make in their introduction, um, very, very brief two-liner. It says, it's not enough, this is their opinion, the two authors that wrote this book, it's not enough to merely consider the formation of convictions. We must also learn how to have productive conversations about our convictions. I love that. That's I read that on it's page seven of the introduction, and I was sucked in. I think I, I think I read the whole book in maybe two sittings after that, yeah. Because I just I almost want to yell, yes. Said a different way, it's not enough to be right. Mm. It's how we talk about things together, how we talk about what's right matters just as much. Back to First Corinthians thirteen, you can have all the right answers, you can have all the gifts. But if you don't have love, mm-hmm. you are annoying. You are you are a loud gong, a clanging cymbal. And uh, I think we miss that. I think we focus so much on what's right and wrong, sometimes at the expense of even being heard. Yeah. Um, and the reputation of the church is at, at stake. Yeah. The reputation of Christ's church to a lost, watching world is at stake. Um, so this this book... I think that's so much the heart of it. Um, he says also in the introduction that all Christians do not share the same convictions on all issues. I think we all know that, but I think a lot of us are in denial <laughs> that we should all think the same. Right. Um, but he says more importantly, we don't have different convictions because some Christians are devout and other Christians are merely nominal in their faith. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's where our brain goes is, well, if, if we disagree, one of us is faithful and really trusts God right. and obedient and okay. <laughs> and the other is, you know, at, at the very least, just confused and lost. And, but at worst is a heretic, you know, um, mm-hmm. the enemy. And... I, I think I see that being played out. I, I, I'll say this as a pastor of a local church uh, who runs with a lot of different people, um, and even thinking back to my time at my last church in Colorado, I see a lot of that. You know, if we disagree, then we question the other's faith—not um, just their opinion, but their their very faith—which is really, really sad. Yeah, the um, one of the things that they referred to just towards the beginning of the book is, is he said that the um, 
the essential threat of quarreling leaps from the text of almost every New Testament epistle. So basically, mm. this isn't anything new. Yes. This is not new. Yes. Everybody, every church is dealing with these kinds of things in these kinds of ways. Yes, I, I agree with him. He, he, I like how the authors talk about you know, just a bunch of hot topics uh, in the world today, um, whether it's um, you know, the LGBTQ agenda that some would, some would voice, um, or racial justice some would voice, or uh, it, the threats to the church include you know, sexual predators within the clergy. Um, we've just heard a lot about sexual immorality amongst leadership, um, or, or just different you know, issues of persecution across the, the world, or the rise of Islamic fundamentalism. You know, there's there's a list of things that different Christians would say, these are the biggest threats to the church. And I agree with the authors. They say, nope. Hmm. Nope, those are not the biggest threats to the church. They say, to what you just said, Brooke, the biggest threat to the church today, in their opinion, and in what they read in the New Testament, is infighting. It's quarreling. Yeah. It's quarreling amongst Christians. Um, and that's why so many of the letters that Paul wrote and Peter wrote, and it's, hey, stop fighting. Yeah. Hey, 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 stop fighting. He addresses this issue of sexual immorality or that issue of immaturity, or, but over and over again, you guys have got to find common ground. You guys are fighting about things that don't matter. This is happening. And, and don't we see that in the modern church? Yeah. For sure. Yeah, and, and one of the things you and I were talking about just before we started recording was that, you know, in... It's it's one thing when when you're fighting with somebody, fighting quote unquote, or arguing or disagreeing with or whatever, uh, somebody that doesn't go to church, somebody that's not a Christ follower, right? right? That's that's not, um, you know, th- it almost makes sense, right? To to have a disagreement with an atheist, right? You would expect that, and it's and it's it's no, it's not crazy, right? So you look at somebody like that, and it's like, well, okay, well, I mean, that makes sense. But then when it's somebody that you know and love or that you care about or that is just in the same church and you just kind of have these assumptions and now it feels like a betrayal or a backstabbing or yes you know now it's now it's like it's so personal now because it's like but i thought we were on the same page right you know right there was uh to, it, again just towards the beginning he talked about different principles there were four principles that he talked about mm, those, um, were, those were really good and and i, I loved them and so i just want to run through them yes um, that's a great place to, to camp out for a minute yeah distinct principle one distinguish personal convictions from moral absolutes and matters of taste so yes. what you're talking about um you know and, and by the way back up yeah this is right out of scripture this is paul from romans 14 if you're curious um he talks about a painful disagreement about uh days and diets um, yes which on one hand, may just sound so stupid to us. You're going to argue about days. You're going to argue <laughs> about what to eat. But to Jews, back right. to, tied to what we've been talking right, about, exactly. to the Jewish Christians, the days of the week really mattered, Sabbath, and the food they ate really mattered, yeah. you know, the, the kosher diet. And so uh, Paul is addressing a strong disagreement in the church, Romans 14. Sorry, back to the first principle. Say that again. Yeah, Brooke. distinguish personal convictions from moral absolutes and matters of taste. I think of uh, things that I grew up with, um, like you can't, you, you don't wear a hat at in, in the building because it's disrespectful. Yes, in, you I know, remember that. To me, that's, that's not a moral absolute. It's a personal conviction that some people held right. that I honestly never was given. I was just always told that was the thing. That was right? on par with don't kill. 
Right, right, exactly. You don't wear your hat. Don't <laughs> wear your hat in here. It's part of the rules. And and I don't mean to make light of it by any means, but it was just it was something that was very central to some people. Yes. And it did it for some reason didn't get passed down to me and whatever. Um, but it was it was a personal conviction and not a moral absolute, or or it could even be a matter of taste. Right. Right. In in the you I, know. I think of when I grew up speaking of matters of taste. I grew up where, um, at least initially, early on, you know, we all dressed up for church, and right. and I remember, I remember even as a child hearing comments of judgment about people who weren't dressed appropriately. Um, mm-hmm. That sounds like from another world now. I mean, I I preached in t-shirt and shorts and high tops yesterday, so <laughs> I'm probably the last one to talk about this. But I grew up where matters of taste, I would argue. Those were matters of taste. Right. They were not moral absolutes by any means. They weren't even personal convictions. You couldn't even find that in the scripture to base some kind of personal... You could say that's a matter of taste. Yeah. And yet we treated those things all on par. Right. And even if you go, you know, if you went from church to church around town, yes. you're going to have the same thing. Yes. You know? So it's not even generational in a no. lot of ways. It's it, just it's Some of that's generational, for sure. For but, sure. But some of it is very much different groups, different tribes with different matters of taste. Right. Yes. Okay, so principle two, this one's easier. It says, it says don't quarrel, right? We, we've already seen that the Bible or, or the, you know, Paul's letters to the churches all the time are consistently over and over, hey, stop fighting. Yes. Stop fighting. Uh, principle three, be fully convinced in your own mind. Personal convictions don't apply to everyone, mm. but be convicted in your own mind. Like, know what you think. That's right? not a bad thing. I, I love that. He's not saying we all have to think the same things. Right. Uh, the authors are not, I keep saying he, but there's two authors. The authors are not um, saying you have to think this, that, or the other. It, it's be sure of what you think. Like, it's even an encouragement to have personal convictions. Mm-hmm. We just need to, dis- back to principle one, we just need to distinguish the difference between our personal convictions that don't apply to everybody and moral absolutes yeah. that do apply to everybody. Yeah. Uh, and then, and then, principle four. This one, this one, I I feel like is this is this is a this is a big one. Um, principle big. four: avoid judging the strong and offending the weak. Right. So, okay. So, just some other things that I wrote down that I was as I was reading through following this section. Um, taste should give way to conviction. Hmm. Differ to others' convictions so as not to offend them, rather than indulging in your liberties. The goal of convictions is not to guide our own conduct so that uh, is... I'm sorry, let me try that again. The goal of convictions is to guide our own conduct so that it is pleasing to Jesus, not to guide the conduct of others. Can you go back and say that all again? All that again, yes. So uh, the the principle four was to avoid judging the strong and offending the weak. This is, again, out of Romans 14. Right, so judging the strong, well, you're strongly convicted about that. Well, I'm judging you because I'm not convicted about the Mm. same thing. Or offending the weak because, well, you may be convicted about this, but you're easily offended about it and somebody disagrees with you or something along those lines. Taste should give way to conviction. Differ to others' convictions so as not to offend rather than indulging in your Mm. liberties. Mm. So uh, I I can't remember a specific scripture off the top of my head, but um, when Paul talks about, you know, it's okay to eat that, but don't do something that's going to make this person stumble right right so if if they if they're okay with eating it great eat it with them if right. they're not okay with eating it then 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 abstain with them yes. you know so let's not offend those can i can i have a, yes. a personal example of that um i went to i grew up baptist even though i was in europe for a lot of my upbringing i'm from texas came back to baylor 
to go to school. It's a Southern Baptist school. A lot of people don't even think of it as a Christian school, um, and I get that. <laughs> but there are a lot of Christians there, some Christian professors there. I, I had a great experience. But one of the rules in the early 90s when I was at Baylor was you can't have alcohol on campus, certainly amongst Baptist, Southern Baptists at that time. It's, it's become less and less of an issue, I would argue, for, for Southern Baptists today. It's, it's largely generational. But at that time, it was a shared belief that as a Southern Baptist, you don't drink. You just don't drink. It's a requirement to be right. a deacon, for example. You don't right. drink, period. You, not just every once in a while, but you just don't drink. And we all knew that. And I remember I fell in love with Jesus finally my sophomore year, age of 20, uh, a 21-year-old named Tom who was from Chicago, not a Southern Baptist background, <laughs> not a Texas Bible Belt background, but from Chicago but let me back up. He loved Jesus. He knew more about the Bible than me. He was following Jesus faithfully. He was a big brother in Christ to me. He took me out, <clears throat> took me out more than once to, to hang out, to eat, to drink together. And he ordered a beer. We're in Waco, Texas. <laughs> He's 20. I think I was 21. I, Mind blown. I was 21. He was 22. And we've been doing life together for about a year. And I, you know, I'm like, what, Tom, what are you doing? And I wasn't judging him. I was confused. Yeah. I was like, I was bringing my personal convictions mm -hmm. that I had grown up with, that I had been taught by Christians I respected, yeah. that their understanding based on scriptures, we don't drink. And I'm like, Tom, what are you doing? And he freaked out. He's like, what, what is wrong with you Bible Belt Christians? Like <laughs> the Bible, his personal conviction is the Bible's clear. Don't get drunk. The Bible's clear. Jesus made water into wine. Um, there's... There's no scripture that says don't ever drink. In fact, there's even a couple passages that say you should have some wine to settle your stomach. And, yeah. and so he's like, you guys are off your rocker. But this is where personal convictions, not moral absolutes, personal convictions met. And I remember this is a good backdrop for, okay, he, he probably needed to be, this is what I would argue 30 years later. He probably needed to be a little more sensitive to where he was, to who he was with, and a little, a little bit mindful of his witness, I would argue, mm -hmm. in this culture. So that's where I think this principle from Paul from Romans fourteen is: Hey, don't offend the weak. Yeah. Just because you're right, you might be right on. Don't offend the weak. Yeah. But the flip side of that is, I needed to be able to not judge the strong. Mm -hmm. Okay, he's he is strong in his faith. He's mature. He's strong in his convictions. It's not my place to tell him he's doing it wrong either. Um, this is where personal convictions come together. I hope that's a good example. Yeah, and and I think I think the thing that really sticks out to me about that is that you know the quote specifically from the book was the goal of the convictions is to guide our own conduct so that it's pleasing to Jesus, not to uh, to guide the conduct of the others. So, okay, I'm personally convicted about something, but that's for me. And, and how my walk with Jesus and how I am trying to live my life pleasing to Jesus does not mean that it, I, I need to apply it to, to, to somebody else next to me. So yes, both sides, like I, I don't want to just live out of my liberty because I can, right. because of how that would affect other people. Right. And at the same time, understand that my convictions are my convictions and not necessarily your convictions. And maybe we can yes. have a conversation and figure out some way in the middle or or come to an agreement maybe um but that my convictions are not to just 
blanket statement apply to you because, right. well, this is how you should be following Jesus when you're not convicted in the same ways. Right. I thought that was... That's good. Yeah. And I, I do love that he makes it... He The authors distinguish, okay, we we need to recognize that for one person, our ta- our taste for another person may be a matter of conviction. Mm-hmm. Um, we can at least agree it's not a moral absolute, but it, there's that fine line between matters of taste and personal convictions. But he also says it should be noted, this is important to me, it should be noted that saying we should avoid judging and exporting our own convictions on other people, that's different from saying we should not talk about them. Right. This may be a great place for us to land this week is to say, okay, just because this is really hard <laughs> and mm. requires a lot of work to, to try to distinguish our moral, ab- the, what we agree to be moral absolutes from personal convictions, from matters of taste, just because we, it's going to take a lot of work to get there and we should definitely avoid offending the weak and we should definitely avoid judging the strong doesn't mean we should not talk about them. I, they, they say this, discussing convictions makes for well-formed convictions. Mm-hmm. Like we want our convictions to be right. strong. And the way they get stronger, the way they're well-formed is by talking about them. Right. Oh my goodness, I'm getting passionate. <laughs> this is why we should talk about hard things. And and being misunderstood, it's worth the risk. Um, having tension-filled conversations with people that we love, yeah. it's worth the risks. I, I like how um, a couple pages later, this is on page 33 in the book, uh, can I, I'm, maybe this is a great place to land today. What do we do? We're going we're to talk next week, Brooke. I'm speaking for both of us. Okay. We're going to talk more next week about what these authors are saying we should do. Okay. Not just what the problems are. Right. Not how do we just better understand it, but what do we do moving forward? I think next week's going to be really helpful. And I th- maybe this gives us another week to hear from people who are reading the book and pose questions or pushback even. But I love this on page 33. He says, what is the solution? Do we simply refuse to talk about politics? Should we only offer silent prayers about politics? Should Christians form political convictions based merely on their personal preferences and not try to anchor them in Scripture? Should we obey the famous saying and avoid talking about religion and (laughs) politics? And this is the opinion of the authors. This is not Lauren talking, although, spoiler alert, I agree with him. They say, (laughs) we believe none of these are good solutions. Mm. Instead... We need to cultivate well-formed Christian convictions about politics and a host of other matters, well-formed Christian convictions. And we need to be able to give an account of how these convictions emerge from our Christian faith. Where do we get these convictions from in Scripture? Where are we learning these things we're grounding ourselves in? And let's push each other. Let's let's inform each other with the ways we're learning from the Lord, and be that much better grounded in it, mm-hmm. and and insist that we extend each other a lot of grace along the way, and love each other, and not take our balls and go home, and not um, throw our hands in the air and question the other person's you know salvation, um, not dare I say it, change churches because of that one thing. I, I really believe this. I. I love. Um, I'm not looking at it here, but I love the one of the anecdotes that the that the uh, author one of the authors gives, where um, oh, I'm going to try this from memory, where he goes <laughs> to a church as a college student, maybe yeah. as a seminary student, 
and um, the pastor was talking about how in Hebrews there there's some scripture that talks about how you can lose your salvation um, and become an apostate, or at least that's his interpretation of it. And um, he's unsure about this. And and all the pastor says is I don't I don't agree with that, but I'm unsure about it. And it was very unsettling to one of the authors in his his spiritual formation. And so he had coffee with him and said um, his intention was to say, I'm leaving the church because right. I disagree with you on that. And the pastor, this, is a, this was a milestone moment for one of these authors. The pastor said, basically, are you kidding me? Mm. <laughs> he said, um, can we both agree this is not uh, an essential, this is not the centrality of our faith? And can I also point out this is not the doctrine of our church? This is just something I personally said I'm, I'm curious about and questioning. Um, is the church fostering more and more faith in your life? Are you in community? Are you being pressed and molded into the person of Jesus? Does this negate all the good things the church has done and are, is doing now to this point in your life? And I, he, the author says I had to say, uh, okay, you're yeah. right. And we stuck around, he said, my family, and I had more hard conversations with the pastor moving forward, and we became good friends, and my faith is stronger because of it. Mm. So that, as a pastor who not only can misspeak from time to time, no. but can form my own opinions, right. like with everybody else, and trying to distinguish those opinions, I think, I think one of the takeaways for me from this book is I need to be really careful if you go back and listen to my message yesterday, there was one point in my message I specifically said, this is my opinion. Right, yeah. I want to be really clear. This is my opinion mm -hmm. because I'm trying to even be more clear with our people as I teach to distinguish. This is what I think the scripture says, but it's my opinion. Right. It's my personal conviction versus this is what Orthodox Christianity all agrees. We all, I mean, mm -hmm. pretty much everybody agrees that this is what this means. Mm. That's different. Yeah. I'm getting excited. This book has been really helpful to me. <laughs> I, I like actually giving us another week to yeah. get into the nitty gritty. How do we apply this? Mm -hmm. How do we get and, and then how do we give our people right now just some more time to read, to listen? Yeah. Um, well, and we're out of time, so <laughs> so we're gonna have to. Yes. Um, okay. So are we going to next week? Not not next week podcast, but next week uh, on on Sunday. Are we getting into? Are we finishing the uh, um, chapter fifteen? Uh, we're not going to talk about the last part of Acts fifteen. Um, we actually, uh, where Paul and Barnabas actually have a disagreement. Maybe we'll talk about that and on the podcast part then. ways. We will talk about that on our podcast next yeah. week. Um, but also, um, it's Father's Day, so we're going to oh, do something yeah. a little special next weekend. So it won't it won't directly apply to that either. Okay, sounds good. All right, can I share this one last thing before we hang up? Yeah, <laughs> you and I are about to have lunch with nine other pastors from Wichita Falls churches. Uh, because we are, we've already met with with some of them. Uh, we're meeting with more of them today, because we're we're right in the thick of planning our awaken experience for next February. Mm -hmm. Prayer and fasting citywide, with a bunch of different churches. I'm so we have more churches that are, are going to be involved this year than last year, and I'm so excited. I just get speaking of unity, speaking right. about distinguishing what's. What are some areas we won't compromise from some other areas that we're just is we're just different expressions of Christ Church. That's what we're living out today over lunch. So I, I hope all of our listeners, everybody who loves our city and the church here in our city will celebrate with us that there will be um, 10 or 11. I think there's 11 of us getting together for lunch today. And we look different. We were trained differently. We have different upbringings. 
and we all love Jesus. I'm yeah. excited. Yeah, it's good. Okay, we got to wrap it up. All right, this is the E6 podcast. I know it's been a heavy, um, thick, thick podcast today, and next week may be just as much. But um, you can always get more information about Colonial at colonialchurch.com or from the App Store, the Google Play Store. Um, as always, we love to hear from you, just like as we did today. We want to involve your questions, your concerns, your thoughts um, throughout this. So you can send us an email, podcast at colonialchurch.com. There's a form you can fill out in the app. You can do that as well. Either way, thank you for listening, and we will pick up the conversation again next week.